BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I got stuff for you. Holy moly. I need to get some snakes and release them around my house. Uh, But they love eating people. They love eating kids. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural, lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. Every day that you open your mouth, I know, right? I'm more convinced that you're abducted by aliens. (laughs) No. And it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the, the... These are idiots. I was laughing reading this because I already knew how you would feel. Idiot. What part <laughs> of the story fits your balloon? Well, this isn't a yeah. UFO. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh, yeah, Mothman. Well, everyone, I think we know exactly what it is. So say it all with me. It was the Santo Crane. Would you try it? No. You wouldn't eat it? No. Why? Because they're probably toxic. There'd be a lot of poop in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Seen a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. Welcome back. Oh, yeah, brother. Uh-oh. To Cryptids of the Corn podcast. Yeah. Macho man Randy, uh, I'm trying to work E into it, but I can't. I am the great and powerful Macho Mystery. Macho Mystery, that's good. Oh, Macho Mystery, that's pretty good. And I'm Jay Clone, 42. Oh, yeah, brother. So what you gonna do? We're gonna wrestle up a sea monster today. Oh, I like wrestling. All right, that's it for my, that that, oh, that voice it hurts. is already... I don't know how he could do that forever. That's why he always looked like he was in pain. Because he was. Yeah. He was. Emotional pain. That's true, too. All right. So before we get into today's topic, I have some stuff for you guys. I like Um, stuff. I got stuff. Uh, This is one of those episodes. I talked about it on Cribs and Coffee this morning. uh, That 
what are you doing? Oh, just, just reminding. Oh, I got you. Cryptos and coffee. You said this morning. Yeah, calm down over there, Spanky. Um, what are they saying? Now you got me all thrown off. You said you were this morning. Wearing the garlic at me. You were talking about cryptos and coffee. So at cryptos and coffee, that uh, I was doing the research for this episode. And the first topic fell apart, and then the second topic kind of fell apart, and this is the third one, and it's going to be definitely a relaxed fit episode. Okay. Oh, like a nice shirt. Yeah. Uh, I got. The, I stole that from uh, last podcast on the left, because oh. that's what they call them when they... Oh, just, relaxed fit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it just was like one of those nights, my dad has been in the hospital all weekend, we had our gender reveal party for the twins, but just a lot this weekend. A lot going on. Busy. So we're having a relaxed episode. <sighs> It's like freaky fun of Fridays. But uh, let's get to my front of house stuff because there'll be our next like next three or four Wednesdays is all interviews. Yeah, we didn't really get so, into that too much, did we? Yeah, there won't be a lot of in, in front of house for those. So real quick, conferences. Frogman should be next weekend, I think, by the time this comes out. What is it, March 4th? Uh, Actually, it is this weekend. Okay. It is this weekend. Is that the day of the conference, March 4th? Something like that, whatever... The first Saturday in March. One. First Saturday in March. Yeah, I think it's the second, uh, actually. No, I, th- I think it's the first. March March 2nd. March 2nd is Frogman That's Fest. That's what I just said. I think it's the second, actually. And you said, oh, no, I it's think, the fourth? I think you meant second weekend. Sorry. No. no. Anyways. March 2nd. Frogman Fest. Frog Fest. Loveland, Ohio. If you guys are coming, let us know. I, uh, we're going to do Friday night at the Monkey Bar. Come hang out with us. You know, have a couple drinks. Have some fun. It's a cool place. A local place. And then so we're, we're going somewhere on Saturday local to the Frogman Festival down in downtown Loveland. Uh, we'll Sweet. probably try to drink or hang out and eat right on the river so I can show you. And we may, hell, we may even walk around and I'll show you where some of the Frogman sightings took place. Sweet. Uh, we go to that chicken restaurant that's not there anymore. They stole my chicken. Stole my chicken. But yeah, and then uh, Encounter Quest, uh, you get your tickets below. We're MCN. We're also doing the Friday night Bigfoot casting. Please get in on that. Uh, you want to learn how to cast a footprint, you know, the best of our abilities in case you do come across some Bigfoot evidence or some other cryptid evidence. We'll be teaching that. I think it's like 10 bucks or 15 bucks. It's, it's really, you know, it's a, worth affordable it. price because you're just paying for your materials. And we're put on an entertaining seminar. Oh yeah. We're going to be idiots. Don't worry. We'll Hands be- on. Next thing, Kickstarter. Middle of March is coming out. 60 days to fund the Trainees Help Giant Salamander Hunt. We have an amazing crew put together. We have biologists. We have us. Uh, we have professional nature documentarians. We have treasure hunters. So just, we have underwater photographers. Yep. Stay tuned for that Kickstarter. Jay bought, uh, ROV, a submersible. Yep. It's going to be It's gonna be nuts. It's going to be groundbreaking. It's going to be uh, I really think life-changing. Yes. And those salamanders need protection. Yes. It, that's, literally, that's whose lives were changing. I mean, they're literally, in my opinion, probably on their verge of extinction due to the expansion uh, into their habitat. Where they were originally discovered is gone, and the fringes of their habitat are being eaten up. So stay tuned for our Kickstarter to further explain all of this in greater detail. All right. I got to talk about merch for a second. Merch. We have our merch shop with all of our amazing t-shirts. Hopsable Goblin, Sinkhole, or not Sinkhole, Sam, Sam the Sundown Clown, and then you went to Basin t-shirts are the newest ones added. Um, but that's just the U.S. shop. Now, if you go on to the shop, and you'll see that it'll say U.S. shop. Now, why does it say just U.S. shop? You keep scrolling. There's a UK shop. Oh. And that's uh, Libby helped me with that. So she got our first T-shirts in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to, if you're in the UK, please only buy from the UK shop. 
because I will cancel your order if you try to buy it from the American shop because it's like 200 bucks in shipping. <laughs> Same if the if you're in Australia or near Australia, like Tasmania or New Zealand. Use the UK shop? Use the Australian shop. Oh, we got the Australian shop too? Yes. <laughs> so please use your appropriate shop. And then if you're in Canada, we have a Canadian shop. Wow. All right. So, yeah. And if you're somewhere else and you really want a T-shirt, I could add a T-shirt. But those are the – where I looked at our demographics, and those are our core listening countries. All right. So there's an Australian shop. There's a U.K. shop. And there's a Canadian shop. Use your appropriate shop. Um, what else was I going to say in regards to that? If there's an art – so I haven't added a lot to the other – the three international shops yet. If you want an art on a certain piece of clothing, just message me and I can add it. But literally, there's tens of thousands of products, so it's really hard. I'm a little overwhelmed by adding stuff, so just tell me what you want, and I'll add it. We'll put it on there. That's the easiest way for me. And my last little thing is Patreon pay members space. Uh, if you guys want to support us and get some extra content, those are the best ways. We do hangouts. We're actually planning a in-person salamander hike this fall for our Patreon and paid members. They, they can sign up and go. It's a camping trip to Smoky Mountain National Parks to do a wildlife hike for a weekend. The most biodiverse place in the world for amphibians. Yes. I think in case you all, didn't know that. Those are all my front of house things. All the links for all that stuff will be below. Please, if you can, support. We enjoy and uh, we enjoy doing this, and we thank you guys for letting us do this. Yeah. All right. You ready for... Let's uh, dive into this one. <laughs> I just I'm glad remember. we have a thousand dollar soundboard. I never touch a button on. What do you mean? Oh, you I want just, to? I make notes. the noise. Yeah, we are the soundboard. I am the soundboard. Too bad. Oh, what's the the cop from the Michael Winslow? The Michael Winslow is not here. Radar. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna. I'm gonna. We're gonna talk about some monsters. I want to see if you can guess what animal we're actually probably talking about. Oh. Mysterious sea monsters, the first part of the article we're going to use is Mysterious Sea Monsters of Monterey Bay. Within the U.S. state of California, just south of major cities of San Francisco and San Jose, lies the scenic Monterey Bay, which has one of the best aquariums in the world. Wow. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Monterey Bay Aquarium and Research Center. With one of the highest levels of marine biodiversity in the country, with as many uh, quaint towns, outdoor activities, plentiful wildlife, and splendid, sprawling natural vistas, the bay draws in droves of scientists and tourists year-round. Yet in addition to this, Monterey Bay also has its share of unexplained mysteries, which makes a lot of sense. The trench is really close to the shoreline right there, okay. so you can get updrift species and all kinds of just weird little pop-up stuff. Like those uh, big uh, eel, what are those? Fish? Or fish. Or fish, yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly ranking high among these are the reports over the years of mysterious sea monsters prowling the depths of this area. Mm. Which, as far as you're looking for a sea monster, would make sense. This would be It's a high biodiverse area with a lot of wildlife. So, yeah, sea monsters. Tales of something strange lurking in Monterey Bay have been seen or been reported since at least the 1900s when sailors and fishermen in the area began making sightings of what they would eventually call Bobo. Oh, no. Or the old man of the sea. Oh, Okay. Why would, oh no, for Bobo. Because that's the name of, I think the movie's called Double Dragon, and Bobo's like the henchman, and he's a big, scary mutant looking guy. Uh, yeah. <coughs> okay, so, which most often is described as a massive, seal-like creature with a strikingly simian or human-looking face. Like a, uh, like an engine. Ooh, yeah, like an engine. Kinda. This is much more seal-like, though, much more blubbery and huge. Okay. Oh, sorry. His name was a Bobo. Oh no, this is just Bobo. And he looks like this. Is, is this what that the creature looked like? 
Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, a, it's an audio podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Jerry, well, um, for sharing your pictures. Confused. They, they heard the name Abobo, Double Dragon. Yeah, there you pull go. your car over. Yeah, pull your car over. Google Abobo, Double Dragon. There you go. One of the earliest accounts of this creature, or something looking very similar to it, was in 1922 by a fisherman named Sal Cagliato, who was aboard of a 45-foot sardine fishing rig, the Danta Elorta, near Monterey Bay, some distance off the place called Moss Landing, when he noticed something odd bobbing about in the water that he first looked like a piece of debris or possibly even a man floating in the ocean. Okay. So he sees this thing floating over there, and he starts getting close. He's kind of worried it's a guy, mm-hmm. which, you know, when you're that far out, it would yeah. probably not be the best thing for the guy in the water. No. As he approached to investigate it, Carlito claimed that he could see it was uh, no hunk of floating garbage nor a man, but rather a mysterious marine creature. Its head was the size of a 50-gallon barrel. Okay with a bulging forehead and a wide face. Carlito would keep his story to himself for some time. So that's his first kind of encounter. Just the head of this thing, which is huge. Right, big 50-gallon drum. So there's like the big metal, uh, like, burn barrels you see. Like a trash can or whatever now would be, you know, people, when they buy trash cans, you, it's like 32-gallon and I think. The big ones. 50-gallon is the big ones. Yeah, we're talking big suckers. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like burn barrel. Yeah, so Carlito would keep himself, but a ma- or keep this to himself. But mainly, he's seen another sea monster in 1938 in the same general vicinity while aboard his boat along with his brother-in-law. The scenario was very similar to the first time. On this occasion, they both saw something bobbing outside along the waves and went to investigate it. They reportedly pulled up to within 50 feet of it. They noticed that it in the sea of the creature, or sorry, that it was a sea creature that likes of which had never been seen before. He described it as being around 45, or being as long as a 45-foot boat and covered in thick, wrinkly brown skin. But most startlingly details was the face. It said it kind of looked like a monkey or an old man. Oh. Interestingly, though, the creature did not even seem to notice the fishing boat and appeared to be merely floating on its back with its eyes closed as if it was in sleeping or relaxing posture of that of a seal. Or ba- not a seal, a sea otter. Basking in the sun. Because mm-hmm, they kind of sleep like that. After a few minutes, though, they, pro- or they it reportedly suddenly opened its huge pink eyes. It glared at the startled crew before emitting a loud snort or a blow and disappearing below the calm surface of the water. And how he kind of describes it is it just sank. It didn't take off or nothing. It went, oh, it like, woke up like, oh. Bloof. Yeah. Now, those are important clues for what this animal may be. Okay. I've got, I've got some ideas in my head. Do you? Yeah. Do you guys need me to guess now or wait? Um, you know what? Let me read a little bit more and I'll let you guess. All right. Because there's a, maybe a piece of information that you're missing. Okay. Having seen the beast, or at least or from a, at least two different strange creatures in the same area, Cardio began rather obsessed with finding it again. But he never did make another sighting. However, in the wake of his report, other fishermen and boaters began to report seeing something strangely odd in these waters as well, usually making mention of its long body with fin or flippers and a humanoid or kind of ape-like face was often described as looking sad or forlorn. Hmm. And some of the reports said that it had some kind of like mane of red hair around its head or around its neck. In one such case, in 1939, a fisherman aboard the boat of the Albacore fishing boat in Santa Anne were in the, uh, were in the Monterey Bay and were poached what they thought at first was a huge log in the water. 
which was actually reported, or so a huge log in the water, which they actually reported poking while or the fishermen with a gaff. The other one to find out it was a normal seal-like beast, 50 times larger than an elephant seal with the face of that of a gorilla. So they see this thing low and it's floating there again. And then they think it's a log. They get up close to it and it seems like it's dead again, like or sleeping. Yeah. They poke it with a fishing gaff, which is a sharp hook. And it promptly wakes up. I imagine. Promptly. Uh, there's many possibilities of this, what this old man of the sea could be, such as an elephant seal, an oversized salmon, or a rare deep sea or fish. Wait, an oversized what? Salmon. That's not mine. This is the article. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. It's not a salmon. Yeah. Okay. One part I did leave out is even though this had a strangely humanish face, they all reported it almost had a trunk-like nose. Okay. Not as dramatic as an elephant seal. No, more like an okapi. Even kind of less than that. Okay, more like a taper. A very flexible taper. face. Like a taper. A very flexible face. A sea taper. A sea taper, you got it. I knew it. It's too easy. Right Next. Away. Next. So before I go on, <laughs> I have some. Uh, I have a, a hodgepodge of cases before I reveal who I think is responsible for these sea monster sightings. Okay. Do you have a guess? My first guess was sea lion or sea elephant seal. That's a good guess. Because it's got this kind of nose space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh <clears throat> and we've talked about supersized pinnipeds. Yeah. Which is seals, everybody at home. A pinniped is the seal family. Uh the elephant seal is the largest member of the seal family, and they're already huge. But there is kind of this long-necked pinniped. Is, you know, one of these thoughts we talk about with sea, with sea monsters, these water horse type things. Yeah. The mane can kind of point to that. Uh, for me, it's not that. Okay. And I may be hiding stuff from you. Oh, wait, wait. Um, um, also. No, you only got one guess. Well, that wasn't it. Section. That wasn't it. You, know, you got to wait till the next one. That wasn't my guess, though. I said I thought it could have been. You got to wait till the next monster, and then you can give a guess again. <sighs> Fine. Sucks to suck. Well, that's, well, yes. I can't remember who commented this on the season opener, uh, but I muted you for some reason. I don't even remember. Yeah. I was, at the very end, when it was your turn to give what happened, and you started talking about they were just drunk or something like that to screw with me, and I just muted you. Yeah. Everybody said it was the funniest thing. <laughs> it sounds like we're like 100 miles apart. Right, yeah. Know, we're sitting next to each other. All right. Next thing we're going to talk about, uh, we talked about this with Michael, which you should hear from next week. Uh, the Glacier Island Carcass. Ooh. So, cryptotourism has been in play for ages, especially highlighted by such sites as Loch Ness in the boat, in Boats of Nessie. Smaller examples are the monsters in place, such as the Lizard Man of South Carolina in Tahoe Tessie. So basically it's saying that there's these spots that are cryptid famous and, you know, people go there just to see them. Point Pleasant is, this article's a little older. Point Pleasant's kind of the, the big one I can think of for the U.S. right now. Yeah, I'd say so. Folk, Arkansas used to be, uh, and it still gets plenty of visitors, don't get me wrong. Right. I love, I, and the town of Folk is great. There's Bigfoot, Bigfoot barbecues right next to the museum. But Mothman's, like, built, that mm -hmm. town is built around Mothman. I just love Arkansas because it's little, big, Bigfoot barbecue is like a center block half hut. Okay. And it's great. Okay. The foods are great. And just because it's right next to the Bigfoot Museum, which is a gas station. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the town. Good old Arkansas. And that's the town. But yeah, so it's just saying, yeah. So before this, Glacier, Glacier Island's monster was one case that turned up from old books of Charles Fort. 
According to these cases, a carcass of colossal fur-bearing, almost reptilian-featured animal was discovered in Alaska's Bering Glacier Island. This creature was discovered as being about 42 feet in length, about a, with about a six-foot head, a 20-foot-long body, and 16 feet of tail. Jeez. It is also reported that the carcass was in an excellent condition. This credited with the preservation of the Arctic environment. For those who first encountered this, or uh, considered this almost an unanonymous laying before them, embedded in a block of ice. So not it wasn't a free-floating carcass. It was frozen in ice. Oh, wow. Okay. So before I continue, how could that have happened, right? It's We kind of get the cartoon and show you frozen ice. It's hard. It's hard to end up frozen in ice before scavengers pick you apart. Right. What most likely happened with this animal is it got stuck in the Bering Sea somewhere. So what happens with air-breathing animals specifically, what reptile, mammal, doesn't matter, is that there was recently, just now, a pod of orcas that got trapped. And the ice closes in around them, and they can't take a breath long enough to make it to open water. Yeah. And they kind of die and float up against the ice that's forming, and they can get frozen in that chunk. Okay. So that's how this animal could have ended up in a chunk of ice if it got trapped right next to the Bering Sea in ice formation. Just wanted to say that out there, because that's one thing that never gets explained very well. Uh, they just saved those whales, though. So everybody's... Oh, good. They, they good ending a, to that story. They took an icebreaker out and made Broke a path it to it, and then good. made a path out. You think they... Is this before or after the killer whales were, like, going nuts and... Different ocean. Oh, okay. Different group of whales. Gotcha. I thought just thought they were all were bad. And a temper at this point. No, just that one small group, and they hate sailboats. Mm, good. Which is good. It's also reported that carcass... Oh, sorry, I already tried that. In excellent condition. Uh, laying before them, embedded in a block of ice, lies a monster from another age. It's quoted on November 26th in the New York Times article. The theory has been advanced. that The carcass is that of a prehistoric animal or a reptile that has been preserved in the upper reaches of the Columbian glaciers. Most Alaskans, as well as many other individuals worldwide... Were understandably skeptical, skeptical regarding these uh, these reports. Their skepticism soon disparted, though, as when this, the supervisor of the Chanahan uh, National Forest, one W. J. McDonald, assembled a six-man team to mount an expedition for the purpose of finding and identifying this creature or this carcass. Before I continue, so people are going and seeing this thing. They kind of knew the area it was in, and yeah. people would go, and it's a huge animal, a whale-sized animal. Still sitting in the ice? Yeah, okay. and it kind of washed up into this bay, and it would get stuck on land and float back out, all that kind of deal. And so people were seeing it. How did no one just, like, get a team there and collect it? Long time ago. Still, we could do stuff back then. But it's in Alaska. We still can't get people out to the middle of Alaska. I guess. They just There was just a rescue that failed. If they wanted to, they could have, though. They could add, like, helicopters or some stuff. I believe this was, uh, I don't have the, I lost the, I'll find the date. I think this was, like, the 1910s. Helicopters have been around since the 1700s. Ah, my, my apologies. <laughs> Didn't Leonardo da Vinci design a helicopter, like, blueprints? Sure. I think he did. Upon the arrival of Glacier Island, McDonald was shocked that anyone to find a large, mysterious corpse, which is described as being, uh, Shaped unlike any other creature known to exist anywhere in this region. Very okay. crucial part right there. In this region. McDonald describes the carcass as the creature had a long tail with a tempered head, or tapering head, much like that of a dinosaur. <laughs> Taper? Measure, or measurements taken by McDonald's acquisition were much more thorough than the previous reports. According to McDonald, the head, which was described as being much more like that of an elephant... Mm. was just over 59 inches long. The snout from the center of the forehead 
to the tip. Oh, this is okay. I know my next guess. Was was thirty nine of the inch of the length, and the width of the trunk like appendage was eleven inches at the midsection, with a circumference of twenty nine inches. Dang. So it has a trunk. It's a big trunk. It's a thick trunk. The widest part of these beast carcass was thirty eight inches, which is a bizarre animal's length was twenty four inches, with the tail or the fourteen foot tail that started at the rib section. Okay. Personally, I think it was uh, the skin of the animal, and they may have been frozen weird. Uh, and they just accredited it as a yeah, tail. Yeah, because they kind of, in their description, it's kind of like this tail starts up at the ribs yeah. along the side. But that's just my estimates. Uh, you should do me a favor and look up when the, when the glacier island carcass was. Okay. I, don't, I can't believe I don't have that here. McDonald's estimated weight of the corpse was approximately 1,000 pounds, described in its flesh as being horse-like, because they ate it. They ate the. They ate some of it. Okay, this old creature. They ate some of it. Yeah, so they thawed some out, and they said it was horse-like. Yes, and it weighed approximately a thousand pounds. I have no idea how they guessed the weight of a twenty-six foot long creature or twenty-four foot long creature, being only a thousand pounds. There was probably a lot more than that. And it tasted like horse, which is a mammal. Mm, I can't. I'm keep. I'm keep finding the date. I'll find it here. Oh wait, wait, right here. Oh, wait. Cordova. Here's the newspaper clipping. Um, October 25th, 1930. Okay, so early 1900s. Yep. All right. So let's continue. Okay. The descriptions of the tree creature's trunk-like appendage, fur-covered flesh, and an elephantine skull have led many scholars to believe this animal, which McDonald's team so thoroughly examined, was probably a badly decomposing carcass of a... Mammoth. Yes. It was not. Oh, okay. In my opinion. Oh, I, it was a mastodon. There you go. No, in my opinion, it probably was not. I I think even though, because everybody said how well preserved it was. Yeah, you would have had. So, and then they ate it, okay? So let's say it is badly decomposing, right? Why would you eat it? It's spoiling me. Mm-hmm. They were thawing chunks of it, cutting off and eating it. Well, don't the French have like some like spoiled meat? Dogs? These are not French. These, these are. I'm just saying they ate spoiled meat. Anyway, I'm just saying that it's just weird that that's kind of the thought is it's a super badly decomposing yeah. mammoth carcass oh, so bad it. that people thought it was a marine reptile. Yeah. That they thought it was half like fur, half lizard like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's eat it. And as far as the little fur on the creature, I don't think it had fur. What I think is probably uh, mammals specifically, it, 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 they have blubber. When it starts to rot a little bit, it kind of shreds. The fine little fingers that looks like fur. Yeah. Like we talked about with Trunko. You know, he's having white fur. That was my guess. When it was on the beach. Oh, well, you can still guess it here in a second, because you may be right. Oh, okay. Maybe, which means I'm not. So there was other accounts, however, which uh, in the state, that the Cordova found a glacier island was completely reptilian. And so others assert that it was no discernible head at all, and just a trunk-like appendage jutting out of it, its head like a Trunko. Okay. So Trunko's, you know, reportedly had, you know, just this long trunk, no head. These accounts, along with other reports of the beast's hair-covered torso, seem amazingly similar to the description of the so-called natal carcass, from the commonly referred to as Trunko, as well as mysterious cases of Huber's monster in the Queensland carcass. These animals represent a bizarre form of trunk-bearing marine creature, which has been associated with legends of sea elephants and ancient Hindu myths of the Markata. 
I don't know what that is. Sea elephants. Oh, okay. And they say they have sea elephants, which we talked about with the Trunco case, too. Is that why their elephants' ears are so big? Because back in the day, they used them to swim? Yes. These observations, along with the creature's purportedly dinosaur-like tail, seem to rule out the theory endorsed by many modern scholars that the animal was nothing more than a preserved mastodon. It was McDonald's belief that the creature was not indigenous to Glacier Island, and the animal became encased in Columbian Glacier and was carried off to sea, in which point it was, decom- or it was deposited on the Alaskan island. Whatever this creature was, it washed back out to sea soon after its discovery and scientific interest, much of the same in zoologists worldwide. So this is, in my opinion, a real thing that happened because so many eyewitnesses, so many people yeah. were going out there and seeing it. They did get, it was in this huge chunk of ice. Yeah, but then it conveniently got washed out to sea and no one ever seen it again. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it could happen. It could, but... It's Alaska in the 30s. They also could have just harvested it, cut it all up, or burned it. They could have ate it. Or ate it all. I'm like, yeah, no, no carcass left. So, some Trunco connections. Yeah, very uh, similar. Some other mon- sea monster connections. And sea elephants is a really weird thought, isn't it? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What are you leading this into? Well, I'm just going to keep going until you, you... What's your one guess for this one? Well, it was going to be Trunco, but it's not my guess anymore. Now it's a sea elephant. A sea synapsid. Oh, no, wait, not synapsid. Synapsid? No, it could be a synapsid, an ancient synapsid. I think we're all synapsids now. Well, or a thorapsid, it might have been. Just learned that one the other day. No, I, I, what if it is like an ancient synapsid, like a half, you know, in, that in, in between? Yeah. Got frozen in ice. You know. So that's, yeah, well, that, you know, it's... There's I, my guess. I couldn't find where it had reptilian traits, but everybody kept saying it was like a reptile. Yeah. But it made no sense to me, for especially from the artist's drawings and stuff from people that seen it. Didn't didn't look like a reptile. I just don't get where that came from. Well, I thought it said like scale, like it had scaly skin or something. Mm-mm. No, maybe. Fur. A, yeah, fur. Maybe fur patches, but it's legs and... Flippers. What, flippers, yeah, the flippers. Didn't have legs. See, flippers is reptilian. So you're, you're adding stuff to to the See, thing that's how it works. This is all 100 years so ago. So is that your guess for this one? Synapsid. Okay. Next one. We're going to revisit Cabadon. Okay. Do you remember Cabadon? Mm, no. Or Cabagon, sorry. Cabadon. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember? Re- April 28th, 1974. Okay. So this is... Uh, the name Cabagon literally means hippo monster in Japanese language. Uh, most notable features of this creature was its large eyes and what we, they think were nostrils. So this thing, that they've seen its head bubbing above the water and seen big eyes and its two big nostrils. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, coloration was mostly gray, grayish in general. Um, it seemed like its nostrils were on top of its head, but when we talked about it, its, its head was probably just sticking straight out. So gotcha. that was the end of its face. Yeah. It was just pointing straight up. It's kind of Sea illusion. lions and whales and all, a bunch of marine mammals do that position. So it's not like odd. Uh, you don't remember this? It's not ringing a bell yet. All right. This was the one or this Japanese fishing vessel near New Zealand seen this monster. And they tried to harpoon thing. it. And they go over to it and then immediately they start trying to murder it. Right. Yes. And then it just dived down. I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. Uh, so that's where Cabagon, that's where its name comes from. Uh, the head was about a meter and a half tall out of the water. The few people that said they seen the body kind of as it was diving said it was almost as large as their 50 foot boat. Okay. So a big boy. Yeah. And so they just thought it was some kind of strange animal and they wanted to eat it really bad. Yeah, of course. 
So yes, what is your guess with that? Big but blubbery, a lot of wrinkles, very very much that kind of sea mammalian kind of thing, you know, where it's when we talk about marine reptiles, especially like plesiosaurs and that kind of stuff. As far as we know from the fossil record, they probably did have blubber, yeah, but they probably weren't wrinkly. They probably prioritized, uh, you know, being hydrodynamic versus being warm. Okay. And we see that with whales, too. They can still be smooth and be blubbery. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, see, I already guessed, like, elephant seal, but... I haven't told you if any of your guesses are right or wrong, just so you know. Now I'm kind of more leaning towards, like, a... Well, shoot, even then, with the big nose and it doesn't explain, I was going to say, like, a... Uh, oh shoot! Now I'm blanking on the name. What are the big the big things that float around the water? You can swim with them, touch them. Um, not dugongs, but similar. What are they called? I'm not gonna tell you. What you are they called? You don't get why it. can't I think? Why can't I think of their name? I'm blanking. Um, I can picture them in my head. Manatees. Yep. Manatee. Took you all three to get it. That's what I was. Ah, I was just teasing you. But the problem with the manatee is the size. And the, uh, oh yeah, just the Manatees size are in mostly general. freshwater. Yeah. Dugons, as far as we know, are exclusively saltwater. But they have a horn, don't they? The only, Dugons don't have a horn. Oh, what am I thinking of? Narwhals. Narwhals, you're right. The only true, fre- and we'll talk about all the manatee species, the only true freshwater manatee, the only, you know, is the Amazon manatee. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so they seem to have a striking resemblance to manatees. Yeah. Do you remember any supersized manatees? Pinky? Oh, my gosh. Stellar sea cows. Oh, stellar sea cows. Okay. The whole point of this episode is stellar sea cows are probably still alive. Ah, all right. So I have a whole bunch more of just stellar sea cow sightings. Okay. But we'll get there. I want to talk about sirenians for a second. Oh, my favorite. One of my favorites. Man, you normally ruin the ending of these things so fast. Took me a minute to get there. So, yes, the sirenians are are vegetarian mammals. They are completely adapted to living in water. In the fossil record, there's evidence of more than a dozen species of sirenian, but today we have about just four. Probably actually five. Oh. The West Indian manatee, the Amazonian manatee, the West African manatee, and the dugon. And there are two, uh, the West man- the West Indian manatee and the Florida manatee. I'm sorry, the Florida manatee is split into two groups, the Florida manatee and the Antillian manatee. They're uh, subspecies? Yeah, they're subspecies of each other. So oh. they can't interbreed and stuff. They're just some. Are, but those are both subspecies of the West Indie manatee. Gotcha. Gotcha. So before we continue on with the manatee talk, we're going to play our funny little skit for our spo- our, for our, well, our sponsor of the show, Flavors of the Forest, and we'll leave an ad break after that. So we'll see you guys in a minute. See? I got me this hot, fresh squonk steak, but man, it tastes bad. Jay, you got anything to fix this up? I think you need some season on that squonk fixer-up. Well, what do you got? How about you try this right here? It's called Bigfoot Breath. Raw garlic seasoning made from fresh garlic. Uh, give me that. <laughs> well, it did make it taste a lot better. Mm, Jeez. Brank brought that squonk right alive, didn't it? You know, I'm going to have to kill more squonks to... Use more of this seasoning. Oh, how about you try this instead? How about you try my spicy garlic seasoning? Oh, give it here. 
Suey! That's good stuff. Spicy, but not too spicy. That's perfect. Just Where a- can you get these delicacies? Oh, you can find these on flavorsforest.com. This is our newest uh, spice that just been created. And it's from Flavors of the Forest. Make sure you all get some at the links down below. We'll catch you. See BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And we're back. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Yes. Hope I hope so, because I, I feel dumb. Oh, my gosh. I, can't, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, so back to manatee talk. Okay, manatees are five, potentially five different. Uh, dugons are the only dangerous one. Dugons will murder you. Oh, why? Because. Uh, Bad temperament? Uh, they have to deal with m- actual predators compared to manatees. Okay. Manatees are the only real threat is boats and dolphins. And it's really dolphins just kind of kill them for the hell of it sometimes. Okay, because they're freshwater? They're mostly freshwater. They're still saltwater. They yeah. go on the beach and stuff like that. They, get, they like go orcas? into saltwater. Orcas go after them? It would be very difficult for... Manatees pretty much go anywhere you can touch. They stay in the uh, rivers okay. and shallow water. Shallow water. But dolphins kind of screw with them. I witnessed dolphins being the heck out of an manatee in Florida one time. Well, that's just mean. Yeah, dolphins are not as good as people think. They're, well, like, they're, like, they're like people. I was yeah. just going to say that, yeah. Manatees are just... They don't want to bother anybody. They uh, just want to float Dugans in the lazy river. With, yeah. Dugons have drowned people before. Uh, it's either been playing or aggression. Uh, they have shown some sexual tendencies towards people as well, as so does dolphins. 
Uh, so dugons in the wild are nothing to approach. No. And they're no. big. Dugons are big, but they're they're very thin, and their tails fluke like that of a whale. Is that the only real Pokemon? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they're both marine and freshwater, though. So uh, mantis in general are both marine and freshwater, though Amazonian mantis are the exclusively freshwater, and dugons are the exclusive marine, uh, as far as we know. So rains are commonly referred to as sea cows as a whole, even though there's only one species of sea cow and the other living today, and the other one is the stellar sea cow, which is quote unquote extinct. Mm. So we'll talk about stellar sea cows. The existence of stellar sea cow dates back to the Pleistocene. It rains from the or the, from the Pacific, from Japan, uh, to uh, the Baja Peninsula of California. And it's theorized that there is an Atlantic counterpart as well. We just didn't discover it, or it went extinct much faster. Okay. Or did it. Or did it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the, yeah, because they killed these things so fast. It was the first discovered and described by science in 1971 by a German naturalist, George Steller. He named everything after himself. During his expedition via the Bering Strait expedition, and the sea is now bears his name. Uh, at this at this time, the population was about 2,000, lived in shallow coastal waters in the northern Pacific. There's some thoughts at the coastal variety of these guys, which is a big important part of this episode, mm-hmm. may have already been on its way out. Okay. Uh, when they were first discovered? Yes. Okay. And these large, rotund animals traveled in herds of males, females, and juveniles and were said to be uh, very, very easy to get near. And they were very friendly to humans. They were. Yes. And we started stabbing them in the back of the skulls. Yes. There's actually some paintings of that where we'd come up uh, and stab them in the back of the skull and they would just die. Good Lord. Soon after their discovery, fur, hunting, fur hunters began to kill these defenseless stellar sea cows for their tasty, tasty meat. Uh, most of the people that ate stellar sea cows said they tasted like horse. Uh-oh. It took 27 years for these to be systematically slaughtered to extinction, from discovery to death. That's not that long. No, it's not. No, it's bad. That's a bad number. Yeah. At least stellar sea cows supposedly died in 1968. See, it's not even that long ago. I'm oh, sorry, 1768. That's 17. For, that's a little bit longer ago. Whether uh, so, there's stories of zoologist stellar sea cows ended. However, some cryptozoologists think the stellar sea cow story just begun there, as sightings of these animals continue on and off for the last 200 years. Residents of the Bering Islands claimed that sea cows were they're still being killed and eaten as late as the 1770s. A Polish naturalist was certain a sea cow survived on the Bering Islands into the 1830s, and names reported these animals were recorded on the Altitan Islands in the mid-19th century. I mean, from that time period, I mean, that's generational, like, trauma they're learning, I guess. This is to know, okay. Get smart enough to get humans, away. Yeah, humans bad, especially when there's so little of them left. Like, anytime one comes near, die, I don't know, get out of the way. yeah. Go uh, hide. You're going to get a spear stabbed in the back of your head. And like I said, there was already some suggestion that the coastal variety was already on its way out. Yeah. And that the people kind of just finished it off. So if that's true, what I just said, why are people still seeing them? Let's talk about sea cows for a little bit before I get into some more sightings into modern day. And I mean modern day. Okay. And Because all the ones I just told you were pretty recent. But just kind of about these guys because they're huge. You do not realize how big these things are. Uh, the most uh, the most known scientific dis- uh, description of these animals when they live comes from George Steller, who gave these animals their common name after his own. He did this to several other animals like the Steller sea eagles 
as well as other cryptids like the stellar sea ape. The majority of his findings were conducted during the Vistus Bering Voyage, which ended in a shipwreck on the Bering Islands, although Stellar and the remaining crew got out alive by building a new boat out of Stellar sea cow bones. No, shut up. I added the last part. Yeah, as you say. Yeah, they, they, did eat a, they did survive <laughs> by eating cows. I know, I just... Uh, I knew immediately you made that up at the very, very end. The Stellar sea cow belongs to Aura Cyrenian, which is considered to be a part of the family Duganidae. Cyrenians are related to elephants and shrews. The species was given the scientific name by the Prussian, uh, a Prussian man. Uh, I'm trying to get to it. In the 18, like 1815 is when they finally got its formal name. The name used to be Hydromyleleus gigius. Hmm. The scientific name was then broken down into Greek and Latin roots. The first mean uh, hydro means water. The term dilius is uh, translated as tame, and gigas means huge. Hmm. So water, docile, huge. Huge. Uh, most stellar sea cows are extremely bulky animals, with them being around 26 to 30 feet on average. With their tail, as far as we know, was much more similar to that of a dugon, being so, flute. Like, okay, gotcha. There are several skeletons of these guys. Uh, some of the bigger ones we found uh, was right around 9,000 pounds. Uh, but we think they got bigger than that. We think some of the older individuals may have been up to 12,000 pounds. That's a big cow. Size of a T-Rex. There's a reason they weren't very scared of anything. Uh, orcas would be about it. But these guys lived in giant seagrass meadows and the giant kelp forest. Ah. So they're one of the few large-bodied animals that could maneuver in the kelp forest. Yeah. So that's how they probably still were docile. Orcas would most time will not go into kelp forest, neither will great white sharks. Yeah. Because it can be a death sentence. Right, yeah. When these guys would stay close to the surface and meander very slowly, being able to hold their breath for long periods of time, and they could essentially eat their way out. Makes sense. But yeah, they're pretty much it's their like, only... Wasn't that in the episode of Spongebob when they got lost and they with the conch shell? And yeah, they're in the kelp forest. Weren't they in the kelp forest? Mm-hmm. Okay, see? So anything can get lost in there. They're, as far as we know, the only actual predators were some cetaceans such as orcas. These animals fed, as I said before, on kelp and were moving in small family groups and generally very peaceful creatures, just grazing along the coastal shallow waters. These animals filled the giant herbivore niche that was too large to be bothered by most other animals, except maybe orcas and Pacific sleeper sharks, which we still don't know a lot about those guys. Yeah, I, don't, I know. That's the one that they think was a corkscrew killer killing all the seals in Alaska that would unravel them. Oh, okay. Uh, we don't know. They're very slow as far as we know, but there's some evidence that they may have great burst of speed, including a polar bear that they had in their stomach that seemed to not be, it seemed to be a preyed upon polar bear, not a found carcass. Oh, uh, okay. So, yes. Oh, eating a polar bear is a, That's a big deal. Is a tough feat. So it's like swimming, they think, and it went and swing and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. Or there's th- some thoughts there's actually like a crocodile, and it was stationed where the polar bear was diving in and out of the water and all waiting. the time, waiting for it and grabbed it when it did. Uh, they have been a challenge for, they mostly were challenge for predators due to their buoyancy. They couldn't drown them. That's how orcas drown a lot of their big prey, is not yeah. actually biting, or Pulling how they kill them. They drown them. They exhaust yeah. them and drown them. Yeah. Uh, these guys are very buoyant. Good luck. This is like pulling a buoy down. Trying to drown a piece of styrofoam. Yeah. The animals might have also been targeted by parasites, such as whale louse, which would have pretty much kept uh, kept whales, like killer whales, away from them. Mm. So they're hard to kill, and they're full of whale parasites. Yeah. So it's just like... Ain't worth eating. No, that's not it. And like I said, humans were their demise. 
Now, do you want to hear some sightings of these guys? Yes, I do want to hear some sightings. So let's get into the sightings. I'm ready. I'm ready for you. So they made it into all kinds of uh, drawings and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, they're still sighted. Let me get to my little section. Parts of these creatures survived past the proposed extinction date and have been brought up in these past years. The more likely accounts come from the 17 and 1800s. However, they may not have or they may not have survived as a population, but would have still sustained enough animals to exceed this time period. I kind of think the opposite. I think they're still out there, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. Reports from the 1900s were even more unlikely, considered that they are likely just seeing elephant seals, which we talked about in the show before. Elephant seals are absolutely massive. They're big too, yep. And they end up in weird places because mm-hmm. they're big. Because they can. Because they don't care. I guess they, they, same thing, you know, they're, they can get 20 foot long, the big males, uh, but... They're also very vocal, and they're very boisterous, and they don't care if they're seen. This thing seems to be much more shy yes, and much more quieter. And the blowing that I talked about in that first sighting, when they, the ship came up on it, went... I was thinking, is letting air out so it sink. No, mantis do that. Oh, okay. But it could be that, too, so it could sink down. But mantis blow, as whether just to see what you're doing as a defensive noise. Mantis just do that all the time. Yeah. So the green the Greenlandic sea cow... It's the wrong ocean, right? Possibly the most recent report comes from a video made during the early 2010s. Claimed to a population survived in Greenland. However, this is considered unlikely because these creatures were only ever confirmed in the Pacific. Nowhere near Greenland in the Ar- in the Atlantic. Further, these pictures don't reveal much. Uh, these kind of look like giant sea cows to me. If you told me this was in Florida, yeah. I'd tell you these were manatees. Okay. So if they're in Greenland, stellar sea cows. But it just shows... Large, slow humps, no dorsal fins, not very fast coming in and out of the water. It seems to be three animals. I remember I'll try to post either a picture or a video to this. Uh, these could be seals, rocks, or whales. Uh, they don't have to be sea cows. To me, I could definitely see the, the thought that these being sea cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, cryptologist and author Lauren Coleman no. has explained that the Atlantic sea cow sightings, he suggests that their range extended east into the Arctic archipelago, the Baffin Islands, the Hudson Bay. Although there's not much evidence to suggest this given claim, I will uh, I will dispute that here in a second. In order for the example of these number of sea monsters, such as resembling overturned boats, tend to be crashing in the kayaks very slowly. According to Dale Derman, reports of similar upturned boat-like sea creatures have emerged in the Chunkin and Leviathan Seas, closer to the sea cow's known historical range. Upturned boats, however, still can still be, however, be caused by multiple fac- factors in the sea that are large animals, for example, orcas hmm. and other large marine animals in the area. So mantis like to bump boats as okay. a behavior. Yeah. They'll mess with you and stuff like that. And they also look like an overturned boat in the water. I could see that. Yeah. I've seen it. No, I've seen them in the St. John's River, and I thought it was somebody's, like, John boat that flipped. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's bad. There's a lot of alligators. And then it's and mantis. And it's goes... And then sinks. But yeah. So what are your thoughts so far? Mm-hmm. Well, are, uh, st- I have a lot more. Stellar sea cows, like cold water? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were seen up. Uh, the Bering Sea is, is some of the coldest water on the planet. Right, yeah. Okay. But they probably had warm water in open ocean counterparts. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't know. Why Why can't the ones in the Pacific also be in the Atlantic? Why? They weren't ever seen there as far as documented. 
Right. Uh, there's yeah. nothing. There's no barrier besides South America. Right. Yeah. I just. I don't know. I just feel like if they're there, why not be in all the oceans, especially in the northern Arctic? You know what? You're 100 percent right. Most large marine animals are in every ocean. Right. right. Whale sharks. Most almost all species of whale are in all oceans. Right. Or can be in all oceans. There's, the Mediterranean's kind of the uh, the, the wow. sea, but yeah. that's you know you have to kind of swim around to get in there. Yeah. Uh, the Indian Ocean, which we'll t- talk about, has a long history of what appears to be. They also have manatees there. They have the same or cousin species to the ones in Florida in India. See, they're everywhere. But we'll talk. Yeah. So let me read you some reports. This comes from the Field Guide to Lake Monster Sea Serpents and Other Mysterious Denizens of the Deep by Lauren Coleman. I have that book. That's my favorite, my famous sea monster book. Um, there's still a sea cow allegedly washed up on shore in Cape Chaplin, on the north end of the Gulf of Antilles in Siberia in 1910. In the middle, of the, so first thing is that they said it was a giant manatee washed up in Siberia. Yeah, They're like it looks just like a manatee. It's huge. 1910. Huge. They didn't know it was a manatee, but pictures and people carrying the accounts are like, that sounds like a manatee. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they just had this big body wash up in Siberia. In the middle of the night or in the middle of the 20th century, a harpooner reported regularly seeing 32 foot long finless animals not uh, not far from the Bering Islands in July of every year. So this guy harpooning whales professionally would see this other finless animal, this huge 32, 33 foot long, every July. Coming through the Bering Islands. Ooh, like it was a breeding time. Yeah, or migration patterns or, or whatever. Yeah. Same yeah. difference. Yeah. So they would have that happen every year. Let me get to my next one. The a crew of a Russian whaling uh, observed a group of what appeared to be stellar sea cows in 1962. The Russian fishermen walked. Uh, so, yeah, this is one of the one in the book. They literally watched a pod or a family group of these animals in the open ocean going through. They described them as being very slow and lumbering. They were m- not whales. Said they were we were a whaling boat. Yeah, whales knew what a whaling boat was. They had got the not, hell out of dodge. Yeah, but this remember this is probably Russian disinformation. You know, like any of that makes any sense. Yes. Sorry. Now, so and a Russian fisherman walked up and touched a live sea cow in Arctic. Now this is some Russian word, Antonapkinwari Bay. Oh, there's like napkin is in the middle of the word. There no you joke. go. <laughs> in the summer of 1976. Though many have thought that this was a stray northern elephant seal. I don't think it was because he walked up and petted it. They don't like being uh, walked upon by humans? Elephant seals will yeah. murder you. <laughs> There's giant blobs. Tu- they have, they have, tush, they have yeah. cutting teeth inside yeah. their mouth. They will murder you. Uh, so, yeah. It, so there's a lot of reports of these, especially in the northern and southern seas, like these really far ends. There seems to be a lot of reports of these giant see in, into modern day. You know, that was in well, 1962, 1976. So there's a lot of these sightings. Yeah. This guy walked up in the ocean, was petting this thing, and, it was and just then like, it started moving away. And it was like, uh, just like a manatee. Like a manatee. Yeah, because seals are manatees. Very different temperaments. And finally, a sea cow skeleton was supposedly found on the Soviet islands in 1983. Dang, these are so recent. Oh, I got more for you, baby. Bro. Oh, okay. I keep going then. You ready for this one? Yeah. What if I told you that Washington State, 2006, mm. they, they, hundreds of people saw a giant, a giant manatee in the ocean. Live specimen? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. What'd they do? So this is an article called A Manatee Off Our Coast by Chinook Observer of Long Beach, Washington State, 
September 13, 2006. Captain Ron Marsal is is going to be the guy we talk about. But dozens of people seen this. Not just him. Yeah. There have been some unusual sightings and catches along the Washington coast this summer, but none more bizarre than the sighting of a manatee. While trolling for tuna on course parallel to the Big Dipper about 40 miles off the coast, I received a radio call from the skipper and another charter boat captain. The skipper, from whom I gave a great deal of respect to as a fisherman and a straight shooter who wishes to remain anonymous for fear of being put in the straight jacket or sent to the loony bin, <laughs> he says, did you see that thing? It was a manatee. It was bigger than a sea lion. It was probably between 15 and 20 feet long. At first, I did not know what it was. But as we cruised closer to take a look at it, I looked straight in its eyes. I knew exactly what it was. It stayed on the surface for about two, two and a half minutes, unafraid, and then slowly slipped back into the deep. When my brother, and who, uh, who was also on the charter boat, and I got home, we immediately got to our computer and pulled up pictures of manatees, and it was the same mammal that we saw that afternoon. I will remember this until the day I die for what it was, a manatee. That's pretty powerful. So this is the the Chinook Observer. Uh, is, is a magazine up there. But anyways, a bunch of people reported seeing this thing. Mm-hmm. This large manatee, this, this is a common fishing area. And anybody that's unfamiliar with charter captains and stuff like that, they all fish the same areas. Right, yeah. It's a business, right? We know where the fish are. We all are going to go fish the same area. So this line of boats kept passing this manatee. With, just out in the 40 miles out in the Pacific Ocean. So I see Manatees it. are not fair. Right, right. So they just keep seeing it, and everybody's like, that's a manatee. This is 2006. You know, it's not that long ago. You can pull up a picture Less of a manatee 20 on the years internet. ago. Yeah. Like, you can see a manatee, even if you... Yeah. About, you're about that time. Maybe yeah. not in your pocket, a cell phone wise. I was but... pointing at my phone, like a phone. But no, you can, like he said, he got home and typed yeah, it into his typed computer. Yeah, typed it all in. Manatee. Made that, that dial-up noise. hmm So, what do you think of that one? That's pretty, uh, like I said, a pretty powerful observation or, you know, for multiple people, and then... Even though he wanted to remain anonymous, which I get it, especially 2006. Maybe nowadays that they wouldn't hide their identity, but attaching a name to it's pretty powerful. So zoologist uh, Brendan Huvelman, we, we talked about him a lot on this show for Sounds these familiar. last years, one of the first to recognize the fact that stellar sea cows may not be extinct. More than mainstream, more recently, mainstream scientists have cited the uh, field guides such as marine biologist Bert. Wasserman and James Parsat of the University of California have noted that there's a vague, vague reports of stellar sea cows from along the northwest coast of North America to the northeast coast of Asia and the Arctic Oceans and in Greenland. If such reports are not discounted, that there may be a subspecies of these animals still alive today. Mm, save the manatees. So, where could these things be hiding? Everything I just told you did are giant, slow animals. These aren't whales. Wait, George, you just named where these things are hiding. No, so think about it. They are herbivores. Yeah. These aren't filter-feeding whales. So right there is a big problem. Okay. The open ocean is generally, there's no plants. Right. So if you're a super-sized herbivore, you need these grass beds. They are very rarely now being seen along coastlines. Okay. Extremely rare. These kelp beds, these giant kelp forests are traditionally heavily fished. People would be seeing these. They don't care that they get seen. Even if they're kind of skittish of people, they're slow. Right. So where are they hiding? Why are we only getting these one? These little sightings are just not enough for a, a population. Okay. Any thoughts? Thinking maybe they're eating. Uh, maybe they switch their diet from plants to like algae or plankton. They're eating from the Arctic, full of nutrients up there. 
So no, they're still herbivores because their face is still okay. like they're, they're highly adapted to degrades. Well, didn't we just find discover one of like the largest grass beds in the ocean? You got it. Yeah, nailed Let's it. Let's talk about sea grass meadows. Okay. All right. So where have they been hiding? Why aren't we seeing them on the coastlands anymore? And what's this up with the subspecies everybody keeps talking about? It's the ocean one. It's the open ocean one. Yeah. So there's these giant, and I mean truly giant islands of seagrass meadows that most of the time they're 20 to 30 feet deep out in the middle of the ocean. We just discovered the biggest one in the in the Atlantic Ocean because we hooked up a camera and a tracker to a hammerhead shark, and he made a beeline like 400 miles off the coast. Yeah. And it would make no sense for a giant Atlantic hammerhead because they're, they're not generally open ocean animals. Right. They, they're highly adapted to feed in sand off the bottom, you know, hunting animals underneath the sand. And then we found a giant seagrass metal. We also just found one that was the largest single organism as by distance. This one is over 200 miles across. It's one, one strain of seagrass. That's pretty big. If you look, and I kid you not, I'll try to remember to post pictures, at where these documented seagrass giant beds are and where the stellar sea cows are still being sighted, ah. they're within a couple hundred miles. So it's a lot of overlap. It's a lot of overlap. What I think, especially in India, out in the middle of the Indian Ocean, there's just giant, and I mean, we're talking the thousands of feet of depth. Yeah. Then these old volcano caps or whatever they are. Pop up. Yeah. And they're shallow seagrass meadows that nobody can get to. They're in the middle of nowhere. Most of the time, we don't know they're there. Yeah. We avoid them for shipping because you don't want to hit an island bar. Right. Yeah. So what I think is happening is these guys are the subspecies. We killed almost all the coastal ones. So they're just going out and feeding on these areas. These They, they live there. Because it's safer. The, the ones we are getting... Are the ones that when the populations start bolstering, what happens is animals called satellite animals. They go out and they try to find new habitat. They explore. And they're going back to their cousins' habitat because there's food there. And we're just kind of getting one here, one there kind of deal. People are seeing them. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. And it's just one or two animals or maybe three animals like the Greenland one because there's a bunch of these in the Atlantic. And they're getting in maybe the jet streams and kind of cruising for a while and, you know, getting off where it's shallow. Yeah. And then they're probably being unfortunately preyed upon predators because they're single animals. They're probably most of the time when we talk about these animals that leave traditional homes, they're juvenile males. Yeah. They so, get pushed out. Yeah. They could still be falling prey to orcas and stuff like that. Yeah. For example, Trunco. Poor Trunco. Was a giant marine creature with a trunk. And the only reason that the, the witnesses never said it was white and hairy. It was the carcass that washed up the shore. But this animal with a trunk fighting three or four orcas that was just a little bigger than these orcas may have been a juvenile male stellar sea cow that got pushed away from his family trying to find new ground. Fighting for his life. Yeah. Well, he didn't win. Poor guy. Didn't no. win. Have I convinced you they're still around? Oh, I believe they are. I would 100% believe Not too it. bad for doing this like last night after all the frustrating stuff. <laughs> no, I think I'm – yeah, I'm with you on this. I think very well could be around. It's in places we don't necessarily study or explore too much. Um. You know, and the fact that they still up to 2000, what did you say, six? It was Yeah, 2000, there was one in 2012, too. Jeez, okay, that's extremely recent. So, yes, if that if that's, if those are true sightings, if those are true accounts, that there's something out there. It may not be a stellar sea cow, but it may be a, something, another I think the version. sea cow, yeah. Because I just, I think there is. I think they just are hanging out in these giant, I mean, like I said, some of these are two to 300 miles wide. The one that's one living organism is 114 miles across. That's a that's a lot of food. That's a that's a state. It, oh yeah, that's a state. I mean, the 200 like my Ohio's only 250 miles across. What? No way. From corner to corner. I thought it was like 400. 
Oh, maybe if you do it the longest way possible. I'm talking from like if you, once you get to Michigan and get down to Cincinnati. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's like it is. 250 miles tall. Yeah, maybe it is. Man, okay. So if you have a, a sea meadow that's 200 that's, miles wide, that's a state that a whole population of these guys could be living in. That's so quite we the do range, not, yeah. We do not understand very well. We do not get to these to study very well. It's very hard to get to them. And once you're out there, you're kind of stuck. Right. So it's super hard to research because you're either in a giant oceanic vessel, but you can't get close enough because they're normally going to be surrounded by barrier islands and right. stuff like that. Then you got to get a little dinghy and hopefully not die. They should. It's just like that game Subnautica. They need to make like little underwater bases out there. I'm sure we already got them. Shoot. What am I saying? They're well, already for the, there. For public scientists. Yeah. I, yeah. True. Yeah. So what do you think? I've asked you once, but I want your, I'll let you talk now. I think they're here. I've been I think, excitable. I think they're still there. I'm with you. I think they're still seeing them. Maybe that'll be a future shirt. Save the sea cow. Save the sea cows. This will be you and me riding a 50 foot long manatee. And like we regain the bond again. Mm-hmm. He's not scared anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're sinking on a Japanese whaling boat. We're at, no, we're fighting off Japanese whaling boat from the back of a stellar it sea cow. Has a turret on it. Yeah. That's the new shirt. Swim, Bobo, swim. If anyone, yes, if anyone can draw that up, please. I'm ready to see it. I have been the great and powerful mystery. And I have been J-Clone. I forget. It's okay. It's, it's, Together I'm, the we've for, been, I'm, I'm the forgetful clone. Corn Podcast. We can't wait to see you guys next week. Bye! Bye. Thank you for listening to Crippens the Corn Podcast. Remember, the best way to support the show is share it with a friend. But if you are craving more of the J-Clones and more from Mr. E, there's always extra content on Patreon and our paid member space on cryptidsofthecorn.com. We'll catch you next time with more exciting, fun, and informative information. Bye! What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.